0: All right, before I get into though, I forgot. It's up there on the screen to help me remind you. Uh, maybe some of you follow us on social media. If you don't, we have a uh, Facebook page and an Instagram uh, little handle, I guess. Is that what the youth say these days? I'm not that hip anymore. Either way, if you're on any of those, follow us. One challenge that we're we're asking people to join us in is this thing called 30 Days of Thanks. Uh, there's 30 days in November. Uh, obviously, too, I'm not trying to, like, start a war between those who have already put up their Christmas trees and such. But, you know, again, November does, um, should get its due on the fact that it's Thanksgiving during this time. And it's often a, a time when uh, traditionally harvest would have been happening. And so, anyways, what we're challenging people to do is during this month, and if you haven't already started, that's okay. You don't even have to backlog unless you want to. Just start today or do randomly throughout the month but we're asking people uh to post on social media things that they're thankful for this could be a family member it could be uh a a significant other it could be uh a coworker it could be a friend from church it could be church whatever it is it could be about jesus it could be about coffee or or halloween candy whatever it is post about it and then use the hashtag 30 days of thanks and one of the reasons why we're doing this is uh we wanted to Help people foster a idea of looking for ways to be thankful. Because if you're like me, it's really easy sometimes in life to allow the things that aren't going my way to kind of rob me from the gratitude of the, the good things that are happening in my life. Maybe that happens to you sometimes too, where one bad comment can soil your day. Or maybe one thing didn't go your way at work and maybe you're actually having a great quarter, but that one thing just Kind of robs you of it. So we want people to begin to retrain their mind towards a heart of gratitude. Because honestly, if you're breathing this morning, if you're sitting in here this morning, you already have a lot to be thankful for. But also, the other thing is in this world, in this culture that we live in, oftentimes social media can be a place where, let's just be honest, it can be kind of depressing it can be polarizing where people kind of get into this tribalized mode of you're either with me or you're against me, especially during a season of elections and things like that. And so we thought, well, instead of just, you know, instead of just posting videos about how to make certain food or um, bad memes about politics or things like that, what if we just, this month, took a month to just be grateful for what's going on in our lives and what God has done. So join us in that. Use that hashtag. It would be awesome. Uh, and maybe it also might spur on a faith conversation with someone. You never know how something like that may lead to someone, a coworker, uh, someone who goes to school with your children, whatever it is, it may uh, have them asking questions, why are you so thankful? Because they may know something going on in your life. And so let's do that. I think it is going to be awesome. This morning, I'm excited. We are starting a brand new series for the month of October or November. Daylight savings got me, right? Uh, We're starting a new series for the month of November called Let's Say Thanks. And in the, or let's say grace, and in this series, uh, we're going to be exploring uh, Galatians, which is a book that we find in the New Testament. We're going to talk more about it in a minute. But this morning, I, I want you to picture something with me, okay? If, if you're ever a Golden Girls fan, pick, you know, right now, you know, picture this, Sicily, except for not Sicily. Picture this. It is 1995. It is a hot July day. You're all of a sudden recognizing that you are trapped. Sweat is pouring all over your face. You have that sheer panic, this hopelessness. Maybe you've been trapped before in your life. What used to always work isn't working to get out of something. All of a sudden, the smell begins to rise. You're trapped inside of a porta a potty You were able to get inside, but you couldn't figure out how to get out. You scream and scream for help. Seconds feel like decades. Minutes feel like eternity. And when finally a lady from church helps you understand that you just pull the lock back and push the door forward, the fresh air. It's freedom. I'll never forget that day. I was at a church softball event. As a little kid. I couldn't figure it out, okay? I was maybe like 30 pounds soaking wet, okay? That's a lie. But we all know what it's like to feel trapped. We all know what it feels like at moments where you experience freedom. Maybe it was that rush, that emotion of ending a toxic relationship. Maybe it was leaving behind that job that just left you a mess and stress. Maybe it was escaping a porta potty that you trapped yourself in. Whatever it is, most of us understand the feeling of what it feels like to be trapped. And I hope most of us have experienced on some level what it feels to experience freedom. This morning, as we're going to dive into this idea of grace, as we're going to tread into this uh, part of Scripture known as Galatians, we're going to be talking this morning primarily about freedom and how grace is the guide that leads us to freedom. And so this morning, as, before we dive into uh, the book of Galatians, I want to talk real quick about this idea of grace, because grace and mercy are two words that oftentimes we, we try to use interchangeably, and they're very different. And, and these aren't my definitions. Um, I'm sure you've heard this before, but let's, let's, this might be helpful as we begin this series. Uh, mercy, in, in the light of Jesus, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. We've done something wrong, and God is merciful by not giving us the punishment that we deserve. Grace, on the other hand, though, is the step up. Grace is where you got a free ice cream, but actually this time you're going to get like um, five or six uh, scoops on top. Grace is God giving us something that we do not deserve. You see the difference? One is about we should deserve a punishment. We don't get it. The other is about this idea of getting something that we never should have gotten in the first place, that's really great. Grace is found throughout the New Testament. In Galatians, which is a letter that a man named Paul wrote, we're going to talk more about Paul and his story this morning, so if you don't know who he is, hold tight, I'm going to tell you more. Grace, though, uh, is is used in the context of Galatians about seven or eight times in a book that's only six chapters. Grace which, when Paul uses it, comes from this Greek word called karas, means an undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor or goodwill. It's sometimes defined as a divine influence upon the heart and its reflection of life. It's a gift, a benefit, the favor of God. Arguably the most popular verse that comes from Galatians, comes from Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 It says this it is for freedom that christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery my friends if you fall asleep during this message you shouldn't because you already got an extra hour unless you have a toddler in which case you did not get more sleep but i don't want you to miss the simplicity of In the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. And maybe some of you need to hear this this morning. That true freedom can only be found in Christ. It will not be found in your bank accounts. It will not be found in your relationships. It will not be found in your children. It will not be found in the the job that you have. It will only be found in Jesus Christ. In the work that he did on the cross. And through living the teachings in the way that he lived. Now, let's talk about Galatians. Paul wrote many letters to different churches. Most of the, the, the Bible is split up into two sections. There is the Old Testament, which is a story of God's creation in his relationship with his people and his ongoing trying to restore a broken relationship. And then there's the New Testament. The New Testament is, uh, begins with the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are known as the Gospels. Gospel means good news. And they're the stories of the life and the teaching of Jesus. And then afterwards, we get into uh, Acts, which is the history of the early church. We hear a lot about this man named Paul, who I'd encourage you, if you don't know Paul's story, go start in Acts and just start reading from there. And then it gets into primarily letters from there, letters that uh, were written by Paul, by Peter, by James, by other different leaders of the early church to certain churches or churches in different regions. And so when Paul writes this letter that we know as Galatians, he's writing it to a group of churches that are in this region known as Galatia. And every time that Paul or someone else would write a letter, they typically were writing for a, a reason. They weren't just writing, you know, you know, they weren't saying a Christmas card type of thing. They usually were writing to either encourage or to address a certain issue that is happening. Now, Galatians oftentimes is known as uh, the freedom letter, Or the letter of grace. And you'll figure out why. Because there's so much about it that's talking about this idea of experiencing freedom in Christ. And about this idea of of amplifying the grace and the goodness of God. And so when Paul writes this letter, he's writing it with a bit of urgency. We're going to read about this in a a moment. But he's writing because there's an issue that's going on with this church. You see, uh, what happened is that... Christianity, followers of Jesus, primarily began after the resurrection of Jesus. It started in Jerusalem, which was the capital city. And what happened was it primarily began with people who were Jewish people, people who came from uh, the ethnic line that that, uh, that that God had made a promise with in the Old Testament. Now, let's pause for a minute. There's When we read in Scripture, sometimes you'll find the Jewish people and the Gentiles. The Jewish people, again, were this family group that eventually expanded over time as it grew, and it was this group of people that God created a special promise or covenant relationship with, not so he could amplify them and they are great and everyone else is, you know, poo-poo, but the whole concept throughout the Old Testament, God over and over reiterates it, is that he establishes covenants with the people group not to elevate them but so that other people would be, see the elevation of him as the one true God. That he over and over tells them that they will be a blessing to all people. And that the whole idea is that if God would take this people group, make them holy, and holiness is just this idea of something set apart, something different, that if God could have this relationship with these people, and that if the rest of the world would see how these people are living and how they're set apart and how they're following God that it would draw the other people back into the family of God and so we see though in the o- Old Testament over and over it doesn't work but the Jewish people were some of the very first Christians most of the first uh, believers most of all, all, basically all the apostles uh, or the disciples the the, the the original 12 with Jesus uh, came from a Jewish Background And so many of them already had sort of a religious um, order set of moral codes and things like that. And they typically followed what we refer to as the law, which is the Old Testament. And that's more than just the Ten Commandments. Uh, but it was all sorts of different things set up to help the Jewish people who were oftentimes living in exile look different and stand out from the Gentile people around them. Again, most of the law we find That Especially when we read it, and sometimes it's a little weird. I'll be real with you. When you read Leviticus, sometimes there's stuff where you're like, huh, that's different. Um, But the whole idea behind it wasn't just to make people weird, but was to set them apart from everyone else. And so Paul, I'm not going to read the beginning of his letter, uh, because he pretty much just starts like a normal thing, saying, hey, here here I am here. Here's who I am. I'm Paul. Uh, But Paul, who had went to Galatia, had visited there a couple times, had shared the gospel with people who primarily had a Gentile background. And so let's read, uh, starting in verse 6, uh, what he has to say to the churches in Galatia. He says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preached to you from the beginning, let them be under God's curse. But as we have already said, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be cursed under God. Now, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. All right, so a little bit, of, little bit of context. Paul, pretty quickly, in a lot of his other letters, he has kind of longer greetings, and they're really kind of beautiful. In this one, he gets in pretty quickly into uh, addressing the issue that's at hand. You see, he, he begins by just saying, hey, some of you have abandoned the gospel that you originally heard. What had been happening was there were a group of people, sometimes referred to as Judaizers, and basically what they were is they were people who believed in Jesus as the Messiah they, they believed in his resurrection, but what they had done that was wrong was that they believed that all of the Old Testament law, in particular things like circumcision, still applied to the new Christian. And that if somebody wanted to be a follower of Jesus, if they truly wanted to experience the blessing of God, to experience the eternal life later on with him, that meant that they had to become Jews so that they could also become followers of Jesus. And Paul is addressing this idea, no, 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 That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what the gospel is all about. It's not about following a set of rules. It's about becoming who Christ created us to be. And that this freedom doesn't come from the law, but rather it comes from Christ. You see, it's interesting, many of us, when, when we experience grace, uh, Uh, we realize that others' opinions don't matter as much anymore, right? I mean, I love how Paul pretty quickly is like, listen, am I looking for approval from man? Am I looking for approval from God? Now, he goes on in in verse 11 in chapter 1, and he says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any other man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Christ Jesus. Four, you have heard of my previous way in, Jew, uh, in, in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Now, let's talk about Paul's story for a second, if you don't know his story. Uh, Paul, most scholars, some, some actually debate about this recently, which is interesting, uh, but used to be known as Saul of Tarsus. Now, Saul was a guy who came from a, a deeply rooted, uh, kind of uh, zealous uh, Jewish background, where he was the type who early on... Uh, when he would hear about the teachings and, 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 and the groups of Christians early on, would quite literally be a part of the persecution and killing of different Christian leaders. He so strongly believed it because he believed it, that, that, that the followers of Jesus were blaspheming. He believed that that Jesus wasn't truly the Messiah, and so he felt like what was happening was that, that, that these Jesus followers were taking good Jewish people away from the promises that God had for them. And so when he's talking about this, he's talking about, listen, I didn't receive this from people. I didn't receive this from one of the apostles. What happened to Paul is Paul was walking on the road to Damascus. You can read about this in Acts. And Paul is blinded as he is walking, and he has a revelation of Christ, that Christ quite literally meets with him, talks with him, completely changes his life, and he gives him a call to begin preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentile people. Now, prior to this, most of Jesus' teaching, too, is focused on telling the Jewish people that he is the Messiah. And since most of his disciples, who were the early leaders of the church, that was their primary focus. Their primary focus was they were trying to go around across the ends of the earth and finding all of the Jewish people and telling them that the promised Messiah was here. They weren't really interested. They weren't looking uh, to convert and tell the Gentiles about this. But Paul gets this call. And, and he has a moment where he goes and he does meet with people in Jerusalem. And hears, uh, he confirms essentially that what he heard was correct. But then he just begins to go. He begins to go and preach all around uh, the known world, the gospel of Jesus Christ, primarily to people who don't have a Jewish background, don't have a context with uh, this one true And what's amazing is that by the time that that Paul is writing this letter to the churches in Galatia, there actually are probably arguably most scholars believe more Gentile Christians than Jewish Christians. But what has begun to happen uh, is this, is that these people have came in and again, they're trying to tell them uh, certain things that they need to begin to uh, uh, do things like circumcision. They need to make sure that they're only eating kosher food, all sorts of different things. And this is where Paul begins to get into a little bit of a beef with Peter. Now, Peter, in a lot of ways, was the right-hand man uh, to Jesus. He was kind of the leader of the disciples. And and when we read here in a moment, you're going to see that it, it calls him Cephas. And uh, that was his given name. So sometimes when you read Cephas, that actually just means Peter. And uh, I could go into lots of reasons why it is that way, but just go with me. It'll be helpful. And so he describes this fact. That that he actually at one point, 14 years after he began spreading the gospel, he went back to Jerusalem, and he had in his mind he had uh, wanted to make sure that he wasn't laboring in vain, and so he goes back to some of these early leaders, and he primarily meets with uh, these these early leaders to ask them two things: Am I doing what I should be doing? He presents the gospel that he's presenting to the Gentiles and wants to confirm, since most of them were there to hear Jesus' teaching and were a part of his ministry. Is the gospel that I'm preaching accurate? And then he also asks, do the Gentiles have to follow these codes, these different laws? And he gets this resounding, you're preaching the correct gospel. No, they do not. This is good. Continue to do this. In fact, if you want to read, what's interesting is in Acts, you'll find that Peter actually has kind of this moment where God changes his heart about uh, different uh, aspects of the law that no longer apply to him, things like uh, eating with Gentile people. In that culture, you know, thankfully we don't live in a culture like that, but in that culture one of the most intimate and vulnerable things you could do was have a meal with somebody. And in particular, if you were to do it with someone who came from another ethnic background, That just wasn't normal. Jews and Gentiles would not share a meal. And yet Peter, his heart, his mind was changed by Christ in a revelation of a dream before. And he began to eat with them. But what happened, and this is the context for where we're going to go to in chapter 2, is Peter, though his heart was changed by that, he actually at one point had some of these Judaizer type people begin to pressure him. And so he began to kind of step back from his his commitment to uh, eating with all of God's people, Jews and Gentiles alike. And so this is where uh, Paul starts to kind of throw a little bit of shade and call out Peter. He just says this in chapter 2, starting in verse 14. He says this, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, he's talking about the Judaizers, those who were saying that they had to do certain things, I said to Cephas, or Peter, in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow, follow Jewish custom? He's essentially saying, Peter, how could you do one thing like this and ask people to do something you're not doing yourself? You came to this piece that it's okay for you to, to eat like this, to live like this, but you're going to say now that for these new believers, these people who didn't have this background, that if they truly want to be saved, if they truly want to experience freedom in Christ, they have to go back and follow this law. Mind you, one of the big hiccups they have in this moment, too, is about circumcision, which I don't know about y'all, but if, if circumcision was part of being saved as an adult male, like, I'm sorry, like, I might be trying to figure out something else. just going to say it. And if you don't know what circumcision is, um, don't Google search it. Find me after service, I'll tell you. It's weird. But in verse 15, he says this, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, clear sarcasm, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, so that we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ. Not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then what? Then would I really be a lawbreaker? Basically, what Paul is trying to get out here is this. Jesus talks about how he is the fulfillment of of the law. Now, it's important and can be confusing, so I'm going to give a real quick little thought on the Old Testament as uh, Christian followers. I'm going to get into this more in the coming weeks. But here's the thing that we have to balance the tension with, okay? And you've probably heard this with people before. Well, if you really follow the whole uh, Bible, how can you eat pork and you wear different clothing things and things like that? So if we look at the law, we look at books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, These laws that were given were given right after God had rescued his people who were enslaved in Egypt and put them uh, into the promised land. But before that time, they're living amongst so many other people groups. And so that's where God begins to establish these ideas of having a holy people who are set apart. And so that's where he begins to do a couple things. He has some laws that we have that are put in place that are to separate them as a people group. That. The laws in themselves aren't the holy thing. It's the idea that the holy God is telling them to do it. So that way, the rest of the world will see that they are different. Circumcision, I don't think, was something where God was like, this is going to be funny. Check this out, Abraham. You want to see what's going to happen? I don't think that happens. I think this holy was this idea. The idea of, of clean and unclean food, again, I think was this idea that there would be this distinguishing factor of these people. Now, some of these laws that we find... We're ones that were all about showing this people group, these laws for this people group. Now, when Jesus comes, we recognize that no longer is God just working through uh, this one people group, but Jesus comes and he says quite explicitly many times that I have come to save all people. All people. And so no longer are, are we trying to be this one group, but that the kingdom of God is here And he is the king. So no longer are we living in this kingdom because the kingdom of Christ is here. So we can set aside some of those laws. We also have ones that have to do with the ceremonial uh, different sacrificing system. At that time, if someone wanted to have an atonement or a forgiveness of their sin, their wrongdoing, this right standing with God... What they would have to do is they would have to take a sacrifice. We talked a little bit about this last week. Now, some of the different things that had to do with um, the sacrifice system was intense. I mean, there were all sorts of cleaning. Like, you know, you couldn't wear dirty socks on Wednesday. Otherwise, your your sacrifice wouldn't be good. Or you couldn't have this type of animal mixed with this type of animal. And there were all sorts of different things. Here's the really great news, my friends. When Jesus dies on the cross, he becomes the the end-all, be-all sacrifice for us. That no longer do we have to take our little billy goats or our sheep or buy some doves to the temple so that we can be forgiven. We can freely access it just by reaching out to the God of all the universe through Jesus Christ. That's great news. But so we recognize that when we look at the law, that there are certain aspects of it that no longer apply to us. Now, that doesn't mean we throw out those books, by the way. We read them and study them because there's deep meaning behind them. Also, it helps remind us of the goodness of God. It shows us the freedom that we have in Christ because we're not burdened by following the law. But what Peter or what Paul is trying to say is listen, my friends, my brothers and sisters in particular who are trying to still do this. The law was there at the time for a good reason and it helped us, but none of us have been saved by the law. The reason that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ is because even with the law, we couldn't measure up. Even with the list of do's and don'ts, we still messed up. We still never hit the target. And so we recognize now that no longer should we, and and, and, man, I I love whenever you find Jesus or you find Paul being sarcastic about stuff. I love the fact that he talks about, you know, if we had to be like those sinner Gentiles. I love it. You kill him with sarcasm. I know sarcasm is not necessarily a fruit of the Spirit, but maybe in moments when it's you know, brought out by the Holy Spirit, it's pretty effective. But Paul understands it. He understands grace. He understands freedom because he knows what it used to be like to be a person who was driven and consumed by the law. He knows what it was like probably to be a performance-based person. Truth is, many of us still live in that. Most of us still live in a mode where we are all about, I have to do this, I shouldn't do this. And so much of our faith is not an intimate relationship in which God wants us to have, where it's all about who we're becoming, how we're abiding, how we're remaining, how we're being in relationship with him. But it's all about, okay, I can't say these words, I can't watch this movies, or at least I don't want anyone to know I do, and I need to make sure I do this and that. I need to check off these boxes so I can... Make it to the pearly gates. And yet that's not what it's about. But Paul is trying to impress upon these people, listen, we only experience freedom. We are only justified. We only stand clean and free because of Jesus Christ. Nothing else, nothing more. He goes on in chapter 2, verse 19, he says this, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul's saying this. He's, he's calling out his friends who are still clinging to the law, to, to every little nitpicking thing. Listen, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to recognize that everything has already been accomplished by his death and his resurrection. Because if you hold on to the law like this, what you're saying is that what Christ sacrificed is Meaningless. Because you're still looking to be justified. You're still trying to earn your own salvation by doing things right and not doing things that are wrong. And Paul is saying, listen, I died to the law. I died to the law because the law is not my savior. The law did not pay the debt that I couldn't pay. Only Jesus did that. And I love Paul's posture. I love this imagery. And maybe this is helpful for you. It's it was helpful for me as I was studying this week, is this idea that, listen, no longer does Aaron live. Aaron has died, but instead I'm seeking that Christ would live inside of me. That when people would see me, that as Jesus prayed, more of you and less of me. That people would see the grace of God through my life, through my actions, through my attitudes through the way I spend my time, the way I spend my money, that they would see Christ in me, that they would experience grace and they would experience freedom. You see, the truth is, this is something that comes from God as a gift that we could have freedom, that we could be rid of this idea of a performance-based relationship. You know, if any of us would talk about a romantic relationship where someone was walking on eggshells all the time, where if they felt like someone gave them a list of do's and don'ts and they needed to follow it to the letter of the law, we'd probably call that a toxic relationship. We'd probably say, I don't think this is like the right thing. That doesn't really sound like love. You know, when we try to uh, be people who are so focused on everybody Following every little thing. I'm not saying truth isn't important. Truth is so important. But grace, one of the beautiful things about grace is that it helps us understand that we're all in process. That every single one of us, whether you've been following Jesus for 30 seconds or for 90 years, you still got junk. You still got stuff that stinks like a porta potty. And the good news is that's okay. Because Jesus still seeks you out. He still is working in your life. And he's not afraid of the stank. In fact, he asks you to give it to him, which is weird, but we're not going to go into that imagery. So my hope and my prayer is that you would recognize that your freedom is not something that you can earn. That freedom does not come from what I can accomplish but it comes from what He has accomplished for us. That there's no sort of way that you can live in a way where God is going to love you more. There's no sort of, sort of thing where you can give enough money, where you can serve enough hours, where you can do all the right things. Because you already have the gift of grace and freedom today. And the big question is, will you choose to receive it? And the other question becomes, if you've received it, are you standing in the way of others receiving it? Are you living a life right now, and Lord knows I've been guilty of this, where you stand in the way of others by putting on expectations for them to become perfect immediately? You know, sometimes when we set deep expectations on people, we're just helping them fail. You know, it's been interesting, I'm not going to make deep comments on this, but I'm sure if you've watched any news or been on social media this week, you know, there's been all the news about Kanye West, this, uh, uh, you know, famous uh, rap, hip-hop artist who uh, is controversial in his own right for lots of different things, but who uh, appears to have had a conversion to Christianity. And, and I don't know his heart, I don't know him, I, who knows, time will tell. But it's been interesting how so many people have been nitpicking someone who maybe came to faith in the last year about whether or not they have all of their stuff together. They've been nitpicking this person who has this huge platform, which isn't right or wrong. But I don't know about you, but if if someone had kind of a bigger spotlight on me, I think it'd be a lot easier for people to see that Aaron don't got it all together that there are still some things where Aaron needs to be crucified and Christ needs to rise up. And so this isn't my comment, this isn't my like, Kanye's for real, we got it, he's the man, we're going to have him here next Sunday. But here's my hope. If I believe in a God who turns Saul's to Paul's, shouldn't I believe that God could do that? Shouldn't I be praying and hoping that God continues to, work in and through him. Not because he's famous and he has his platform, but because he's a brother in Christ. Because I know what it's like to be enslaved to sin. And I also know the beauty of freedom in Christ. I know what it's like to receive that grace. In the Gospel of John, Jesus, he taught this. He's talking to some, some Jews and he just says this. He says, if you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples, my followers. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he goes on, and he says this, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Every single one of us have been a slave to sin. Every single one of us. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son A son belongs to it forever. May I throw in there, a son and a daughter belongs to the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Worship team is going to come up and they're going to sing one more song for us. My hope and my prayer is that you leave today knowing that grace is a free gift given to you. Not because you earn it. Not because you deserve it, but because he is good. And that you would recognize, as Jesus taught, that if you are a son or a daughter, and that's what salvation's all about, it's not just about the idea of avoiding hell and going to heaven, but it's about becoming a son or a daughter, living in the presence of your Father who is good, who cares about you. And so I'll leave you with this. Receive grace and be free. Receive the grace of Jesus Christ through relationship with him. And it's simple. This is all This is all you got to do. You pray. And prayer is, is just communication with God. There's nothing fancy. You don't have to have a prescriptive thing. All you have to do is cry out and say, God, I know I am a sinner. I know I am broken. I know I have been distant from you. Forgive me for the sin of my life. Would you be the Lord of my life? I wish and I desire to follow you. Your will, your way. I want to be like your son Jesus. Would he live inside of me? Would you know that when you do that, he will forgive you. You will receive the Holy Spirit inside of you, which will help you. And you'll be free. No longer will you have to carry the burdens of sin and shame. You can. I'm going to ask you guys to stand and I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing. And as we sing... Maybe this is your opportunity for the first time or the first time in a long time to pray a prayer like I just talked about Maybe this morning is a time for you just to experience that grace Maybe this morning is a time for you to lay down some sort of sin or shame in your life That's enslaving you And maybe this morning is your moment to be set free. Let's pray God we thank you for the fact that you are a god of freedom that God, even though sin, which so easily entangles us, God, it desires to keep us in a prison. God, from the very beginning, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and he helped us recognize our nakedness, we felt shame, and we began to be away from you. God, truly, prison, hell, It's just not being with you. And so, God, this morning, I pray that maybe if there are people in this room, God, who are living a literal hell right now, who are feeling just the heavy burdens that are keeping them from you, God, I pray in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, that, God, they would accept the grace that is given to them. That, God, that there would be change that would fall There would be walls that would be broken down. And God, that your Holy Spirit would descend upon these people. And that, God, they would experience freedom. God, that it would be like a cool drink on a hot day. That it would be a cool breeze in the midst of the summer heat. God, I pray that we would know that even though we are not worthy, God, that this is a gift that you give us because you love us. God, this morning I pray that maybe there are some sons and daughters who for the first time or the first time in a long time would come home. God, thank you for your grace. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Changes. it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.